This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey there. Before you start listening, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast. This episode contains language and content of an explicit nature. Listener discretion is advised. Before a song is released, a record is produced, or a chorus is written, the musicians that write them think a lot. They live a lot, and they feel a lot. Before the chorus dives into the stories and experiences that shape these artists, and ultimately, the music we hear. I'm your host, Sophia Lopercaro, and this episode's guest is Vagabond. I think I've resorted to looking for how to feel happy, like a form of escapism. Whether I felt happy or not, it was like a little place I was carving out to escape. Hey everyone, it's me, Sophia, as always. Welcome back to the podcast. I think today's intro might be a little bit shorter, uh, in part because I often try and record these intros a little closer to the end of a week, just so I have more things to talk about. But this week, um, Thanksgiving in the U.S. is coming up, so I'm taking a lot of the end of this week off to spend time with family. My younger brother's coming into town and with dear friends, so... Again, it'll be, I guess, a little bit more brief than usual, um, this little intro bit, but I'm sure that in the next couple of weeks, I will have a lot more great music-y things to share with you. So for now, um, I'll say this. One thing I don't think I got to talk about... Actually, yeah, no, I definitely didn't talk about this during the last intro because I, it happened after I recorded, but I went to this really, really fun house jam supper thing on the on Friday last week. I'd never been to one of these, but basically um, uh, a friend of a friend invited me to this like dinner party that he was doing. Um, he made a lovely beef uh, stew that we ate over rice at a long table full of people. But what ended up happening after dinner was the thing that really amazed me because I didn't know this was part of it. I thought it was just like a cool supper with some other like music-y people, but it turned out to be much more because this this friend is a music producer and he has a whole studio in his, I guess, like back house, if you will. And the large majority of the people that were at the dinner were either session musicians or producers. Um, a lot of them were multi-instrumentalists. So basically what just happened was that for hours on end, they just started jamming. And it was wild. Me and my friend uh, that I brought with me, her and I were just sat on the floor watching all these musicians kind of like roaming around the room, switching from one instrument to another, uh, picking things up and putting things down and just kind of adding to and modifying whatever was being played. There was a couple of us on the floor that um, are singers, and so we were kind of trying to riff off a little bit too, which was really, really fun. And yeah, it was just such a, a wild and hypnotic experience. I, I mean, I've been to like jam type stuff before, 
but never on this level and in someone's house. And it was spectacular. Um, if you ever get invited to sit in a room full of musicians who just decide to improvise for ages, go. Please go. It is the funnest thing that you could do, really. As far as other things, um, yeah, I guess Thanksgiving's not really music related, but I guess I'll be spending time with some of my music-y friends eating turkey. It's not really the most exciting thing that I can share with you, so I think I'm going to leave it at that as far as my life, but I think now is a good time to tell you a little bit about Vagabond, the artist that I have on this week. So I first heard her song, Water Me Down, a few years ago, and I really enjoyed that she kind of exists somewhat in the Indian indie adjacent world, but brings all these textures that you wouldn't expect to her music. And it definitely kind of perked my ears up. And so when I heard that she was releasing a record this year, I got super excited. And of course, as, as I do, tried to reach out to the right people and you know, make something happen. And luckily it did. And here we are. I ended up really enjoying this conversation. It was the last of three interviews that I recorded all in the same week. So as I mentioned last episode, it was a busy time. I was at the tail end of it, but honestly, I couldn't have been more satisfied with how I got to end that week. Like it was such a an incredible conversation with Vagabond and she said a lot of things that I could relate to that were really enlightening things that I think as far as you know our daily lives as people we actually haven't really touched on on this podcast uh, which is really cool so you know there's a lot of things that are very universal that get talked about in music so they come up a lot you know things around like mental health for example but there were just certain angles to things that she brought in to the conversation that I hadn't heard before and it was so exciting. Another thing that we talk about as as you'll hear a little bit in the episode later is I've noticed more and more artists especially in the kind of Indian indie adjacent worlds finally embracing I guess like writing more more plainly. And when I say that I don't mean as in boring, I mean like not shrouding everything in metaphor and poetry and hiding behind that, but rather just saying what they want to say. Um, It's not about being overly intellectual fancy. It's just really about hitting someone at the core. And she really did that. In fact, she actually made a very conscious effort to do that on a lot of this record. And so because of it, there, it just kind of touches touches you at your core in in a very particular way that I really appreciate. It's also a record that sounds really euphoric because it takes a lot of influence from dance music. So when you add all these things together, it just becomes both super technically interesting and lush and rich, but also feels very accessible and welcoming to whoever wants to come in and listen to it. Last but not least, she also brought on Rostam as a collaborator for the production of the record. If you don't know already, Rostam is a former member of Vampire Weekend and frankly a big reason that the early Vampire Weekend records sounded the way they do. He brings as much quirk as he does warmth to the production that he works on and I think because of that 
him and Vagabond were such uh, a good match for this record. If when not if, but when you listen to it, because I more than highly encourage you to listen to the album, especially if you're listening to this episode, you'll see what I mean. It is a just delightfully textured, interesting record to listen to, as I said before, as well as being something that will really touch you and move you at your core. So with all of that in mind, I'm going to leave you with my interview with Vagabond. I remember when Carpenter came out, I got really excited. So I was like, okay, I, I definitely want I definitely want to have her on. Um, I think the best place to start is kind of on, on a higher level, you know, like this ref- record kind of came as as a, a need to sort of heal and process um and uh even though I know like everyone's sort of healing process is really different for you just based on the way the record manifested your your way of sort of of healing was to make a really joyous sounding record so I guess what I'm curious about is what sort of drew you to doing that for yourself the realization that it was actually unbearable to feel all the other feelings through my music you know I, I I couldn't write about grief I couldn't write about my grief as explicitly as I've written about sadness and despair in the past it was a bit too much um, so I I think I've resorted to looking for how to feel happy, like a form of escapism, whether I felt happy or not. I don't, I obviously wasn't happy, but it was like a little place I was carving out to escape, which, you know, we all do in certain things, whether it's like drugs, alcohol, whatever for me, it, in this album, it was, my way of escaping the very uh the the somber uh and the despair that comes with with the loss and and figuring out who i am now without all my old things that i'm used to yeah I think, I mean, I think that finding respite is sort of an important part of healing, though. Like, even though, yeah, we have to, like, sit with our emotions, too. Like, we all deserve some breathing room. And, and I think that this is a beautiful way to find it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on that note, I know that you you moved to a small town in Germany, um, which is where you wrote the large majority of the record. Um, but I'm curious, I guess, just literally because it's such a sonically dance sounding record and it is again so like touching on the like escapism through dance did you end up making any trips down to like berlin and getting to like experience the um euphoria of like the like electronic Mm. and dance spaces there i didn't actually when i went to germany i stayed in the small village that i was living in for that time, I didn't go down to Berlin, but I was learning to DJ from, you know, a friend of mine who's a really respected DJ. I was learning how to DJ. So I, and I'd gone to a bunch of kind of underground uh, dance parties 
over the years, whether in New York, where I'm from, or all over the country, really. And so that particular time around, I didn't because we were also just freshly uh, out of like quarantine. We were just like, just had vaccines. And so I wasn't actually partying, but I have been inspired by house music in the past. You know, even my song Water Me Down from the last album comes from like heavy moody man house music inspirations. And the loss of my friend um, that prompted this move and grieving his passing, he and I really loved dance music and we would kind of nerd out about uh, about those things and the production of those things. So. I was in a pretty serene place uh, and, and didn't, I already had a reserve and, and memories stored of um, my time in dance clubs or in like underground dance parties that I didn't actually need to like refresh those memories. I knew my reference points and, um, and I had studied them and was studying them in another way through learning how to work with CDJs, et cetera, so. Nice. I I love hearing that. I mean, obviously, it's not that it's necessarily a must that you must go to this place to to experience that. I guess I was just curious about how it came about. But I guess I mean the joy of music obviously is that it can reach us anywhere um, and mm-hmm. at any time in our lives. Also, I mean, when I was growing up, I I didn't really get into a lot of dance music. However, when I was in college, I started. Um, I'm going to say volunteering instead of doing an unpaid internship at um, <laughs> a, uh, an electronic radio station. And I started to get really into like industrial music and techno and ambient. And mm. I, I learned to sort of appreciate the sort of slow burn and like hypnotic trance like quality of it. And yeah. again, as it almost becomes this like, weird meditation that's just so delicious and euphoric Mm, yes yes i think there's so much space for that in a music lover's uh, life you know there's space for ambient music there's space for really sad music that elicits a response that you can't rev up yourself you know when you need a little help and there's the music for another type of catharsis like dancing and i think someone who does it really well is like robin um is so is masterful at the the like being emotional on the dance floor type of music um where you can tune into the lyrics if you're in that mood or you cannot. I think sometimes, uh, or at least I should say my favorite songs that make me want to dance or move are songs that when I tune into the lyrics, they're meaningful and it's poetry and there's really good writing there. And then if I don't feel like listening to the lyrics, there's really good production, there's really good chords. So that's really what I what I go for instinctively. That's where my instincts go for when I'm making music that's, I would say, sorry, I haven't called it suggestive of dance. I wouldn't say it's so explicitly dance, but it definitely is suggestive, especially songs like Do Your Worst, et cetera. 
Oh, absolutely. It's it's flavored with it, if you will. Yes. Like just again, like the the feeling that it elicits is there. Um, mm-hmm. What you said about com- like where you get to like have a deeper meaning in dance music and all that. I want to come back to that in a minute because it's I have some notes that sort of touch on that. But mm-hmm. staying just for, I guess, one more moment in this sort of again, dance, we'll say dance flavored space. I feel like the song that really made me think of that sort of feeling was Lexicon. Um, mm-hmm. Like not needing words, just just moving. And mm-hmm. I, I felt like, again, like there's a lot of, even though as, as we'll touch on later, like there's some different stories in this record. It's not strictly one thing. There's these really cool moments of like indulgence and tongue in cheekness. Yeah. Um, and I think Lexicon is maybe just the most like euphoric example of that, in my opinion, yes. on the record. Mm, yeah. Well, that's great to hear. I mean, even for me, like uh, performing that song, it's I'm like, wow, what is what is in this song? <laughs> you know, sometimes it's a little. I wrote it, but it's a, sometimes it feels a little out of my control. Um, in terms of you know it makes me and the band like we're all like happy after we play that song so i i i agree and i experienced it too and it was certainly um a surprise to everyone <laughs> yeah i think we need it um yeah. actually i think you'll appreciate it this but earlier this week um i did an interview with uh shay coulee from drag race and mm-hmm. um we were talking about her record with uh, eight, which deals a lot with specifically like um, underground, like black queer spaces, like everything from like mm-hmm. sh- clubs in Chicago to the ballroom scene. And I mean, the uh, this idea of, again, euphoria of dance came up and she said something that made me really smile. She was like the the like best thing that you can do or like the most like romantic thing that you can do is like when you're in a club with a person like kind of lock hands and spin in a circle so it's just the two of you and I don't know I think lexicon kind of embodies that sort of feeling so I thought I would share Mm. that story with you also because it's adorable yeah it is so that is so beautiful I know (laughs) I love I love that yeah, she she was very cool um, to talk to about wow. that, and it was it was so sweet. Yeah, again, well, we we've spoken a lot about again this concept of of dance and euphoria, and I kind of want to move on to something else that I know is really important about this record. As much as we have like these sort of like hypnotic, floaty qualities of dance lyrically, there's also the sort of like knife sharp straightforwardness um, mm. in the way that. You're right. And I was speaking to a friend of mine about this recently. I really love how more and more artists, especially in like the sort of indie and indie adjacent worlds are embracing Mm -hmm. lyrics that are a lot more, again, straightforward, like instead of like sort of snowing things down in like heavy metaphor and like Mm -hmm. to where it's obscure, just literally like kind of cutting to the bone. Um, And so I guess, you know, where what sort of drew you to that like what brought you to to wanting to write this way you know i really enjoy beautiful writing i love language i love i do love you know a beautifully poetic writer that whose whose lyrics or whose writing i can read and it reads like a 
wonderful poem. And I also really love the poetry of our interactions with people. I, I love I love when a writer's writing is how they speak. Um, and I really wanted to bring more of my personality onto this album. I think a heavy part of the context for Sorry I Haven't Called is that I'm really private. I'm a really private person. I grew up quite reserved. Um, and all those things fall down when I'm with my friends, with my loved ones, with people who I know. And I can be a bit more opaque when I'm not with people I know. And for me, this album was an exercise, lyrically, um, was an exercise in opening up to kind of showing my personality and who I am with my friends, which includes humor. I really like, you know, you mentioned tongue in cheek. Like, I think there's something about, there's a there's a very, very, very distinct difference between um, humorous and like funny lyrics and corny lyrics, you know? And I don't know what it is. It's I think it's that it's, it has to be earnest, like, mm-hmm. but not, like it, it still has to be true. Like it still has to be believable and true, you know? So it's like, if I'm, it, it makes me laugh and it makes my friend who came to the studio laugh for me to sing, I made out with your best friend and he loved it. Like it's making us laugh and that's a real moment. And because that moment is real and it's not in a vacuum of like, oh, I think people are gonna love this. It's like me and my friends thought it was funny that makes it it's an earned moment of humor then for me as a writer um so throughout the album i looked for those things how do i speak with my friends i often combed through my text messages with friends so i stopped myself mid-conversation with a friend because i said something or they said something and it's not necessarily because it's gorgeous prose it's because it's uh something we're both relating to, which means that everyone out there who don't know us can also relate to it. And so I think that's really made this album a record to commune over um, because it isn't, it, it actually wasn't the super introspective, I'm alone, like my others. I'm alone in my room and I'm making this about like these internal feelings that I haven't brought out yet, which is such a valuable part of making music for me the exercise here and just what I wanted to explore here was more of that like communal and collective, the collective grief, the collective catharsis, the collective um, comedy, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's something that I think makes a difference and maybe why you'd want to dance the lexicon with your friend instead of dancing alone in your room not that that's not a valid way to look at it but there's there are these things about the writing and because it was over you know it's a meal to be shared rather than like a solo meal not that one's better than the other but that's really what i was going for in writing these lyrics is is having bringing more of my 
my communal uh, personality to this to this music and knowing that it will then, without a doubt, someone will relate to it because it's real. Yeah. And uh, and as you've said many a time, like there really is place for both. Both. I mean, look, like I have two different tattoos based on Fleet Fox's lyrics. So like yes. I am, I'm very into my poetry, but I've mm-hmm. learned to love the sort of disarming quality. And like you said, the sort of deeply human, relatable quality mm-hmm. of just just again fucking saying the thing um and i feel like i feel like the fact that you start like the first line of this entire record is can i talk my shit is like (laughs) such a like it's it's such a like thesis statement of like this is what's about to go down this is how we're talking on this record yeah yeah i think i think it's 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 fun right it's like it's my way of saying hey let's put our defenses down especially because this is my third album people have heard my first my second and a lot of people are just hearing me for the first time regardless of that I make music with all that history and my catalog in mind so talk my can I talk my shipping first is me saying okay guys if you've been here since the beginning I know this is crazy but like follow me here but then track track two i believe carpenter's track two i don't even yes. know yes, but then track two is is really like it, it's it's not so simple it 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 touches more on my the way that i would write on my first album or second album and someone hilariously asked me once if that song was about jesus and it made me laugh like oh it's not clear you know it just it, so i think There are these songs where I really wanted this album to play with all of the uh, the sides of me and give some to those album one listeners and also say like, hey, this is who I am now today, because I believe that records are these like archival points like they're they're meant to to. They're they're like photographs of a time, you know, they're like sonic photographs of a time of the artist at that time. So I have to be true and I have to have songs like, can I talk my shit? Because I don't feel like being deep, but then I have to have songs like Autobahn where it is poetry. And then I have to, like, I just have to do that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it would be fair to restrict someone to one time in their life. Um, we're, We're multifaceted creatures and we should be allowed to express things accordingly. Um, Another line, which I know is clearly, if not already a favorite, like a universal favorite from this record, I know it, it should be. And again, it probably is the line you turn me into someone I don't fuck with um, <laughs> is so iconic because um, it's so honest. And I there's another yeah. line from that same song that I really like. And this is one of those like talking about, like, I guess, stories within a song. And maybe mm-hmm. just because I, I feel like I've been in, in situations similar to the one this song is talking about. So it kind of it hits somewhere yeah. for me. And that line is, you sing my praises, then you try to slide. It kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of like breadcrumbing. Um, yes. Like when, you know, someone gives you just enough to keep you around and then they they fuck off. <sighs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. It's it's um, it's. That song <laughs> is my rage of the album. There's a lot of 
like, you know, I come from punk music. I come from like underground, like guitar loud world, like underground New York City, you know, rock music. And speaking of all the people that we are, all of ourselves, like that song is like, I still have rage, you know, like I have sadness. I have euphoria in lexicon. I have confusion <laughs> in in anti-fuck, but I have rage with that song. And it's a universal feeling for anyone out there experiencing the world that you've become someone you don't recognize and someone you don't like in the company of, of someone else. Yeah, absolutely. Um and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I'm curious. I realize, and this is this is coming from me as a person. I'm I'm very much a recovering people pleaser, um, and mm. I I realize that because I'm that, and I'm also very empathetic. I'd often be so focused on like why someone's behaving the way that they were doing instead of allowing myself to be angry. Um, yeah, and so like that, I've learned to find such a profound catharsis in songs that are just like hey fuck you like you shouldn't be behaving this way and i'm going to call you out on it yes yes exactly it is um it is very uh it's a way of being angry without being disenfranchised by the feeling you know or like like disoriented by the feeling there's almost an acceptance to the rage right it's like it, it you sing my praises then you try to slide it's like yeah that's annoying but like i'm acknowledging that you sing my praise there, there's something to the writing as as a writer my brain is like always thinking about there are some there are so many ways to convey the same exact emotion and there's one way that makes you feel small and there's one way that makes you feel in control and on this album i wanted to opt for the in control even when i felt um destroyed by someone's actions like there's i have the i'm like saying that i'm actually over it or i'm saying that like this really sucks i'm i'm done with it instead of like you won't um, maybe I'm getting a bit too in the weeds of songwriting, but no, they're, this, they're, they're, this is a place where that is more than welcome. So <laughs> jump right in. There is um, there is a you know it, the lyric um, "You turn me into someone I don't fuck with" is way more self assured than the lyric. I I found that I don't like myself. Like I don't like myself. You know what I mean? Like, oh it, yeah, there's a difference. I I can't really uh, put it into like a fine package right now, but I think that's been my biggest accomplishment uh, as a songwriter on this because I really worked hard to figure out how to speak and write from a place that made me feel good at at the end of it all, even if I was talking about something bad. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, for one, like you said, it's the reclaiming control. It's also, I think, a key to like what you just said was instead of saying, I don't like myself, it's it's the fact that you're saying you as in you did this. Yes, this is exactly. your fault. And it's not like you're going for the guttural in the sense of like, you know, like 
saying something shitty about something that person's insecure about. You're just listing yes. the shitty things that they've done. So like you said, yes. it is a sort of grounded rage and you're just stating facts. Like, yes. And you're holding someone accountable. So in that way, like you said, it doesn't make you feel small and it doesn't make you feel like you're in a blind rage. You're just you're just literally standing up for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like recognizing when you're being projected at, you know, it's like it, it's, it's like, oh, this is not mine to, you know, this is not mine to hold. So I won't. And you write from that place. Yeah, Absolutely. I think this is a good part um, to go through. There's there's clearly, as we've already clearly started to touch on, like a second story within this record. I kind of read it as, you know, like starting by maybe looking back on like a previous connection with someone with sort of rose colored glasses. Like I think of the line on mm. Audubon, forget enough to love what you remember. Um, yes. But at some point it sort of flips and you realize no this wasn't this the way this person treated me wasn't right and that's when we get lines like again you turn me into someone i don't fuck with is that yes. like a fair thing to clock on this record yeah i think absolutely i mean those two songs specifically are definitely written as like two um like a like two sides you know the two sides of a coin um because there's like you know, I think like saying something like missing you while you speak, there's so much romance in that, you know, like to be looking at someone to already miss them when they're in front of you. And like, that's how much you want them, that, that they haven't even left yet and you already miss them. And then there's its shadow side of, I don't like myself when I'm with you. Like, and I don't, and kind of like it's taunting right that song for me is almost like like bring it on do your worst like like I don't care you know it's very kind of like um you know there's this uh very shiny side that is the romance and and what you see in the person and then there's what destroyed it all so I think it's a very fair um it's a very fair and, and and correct assessment. I'll take it. I mean, we we've all a thousand percent been there. It's yeah. it's it's one of the really weird and annoying things that our brains our brains do. But this is the joy of being human. all this time, right? Yeah, uh, catching feelings and then that person just like warping your sense of self. Um, yes. May or may not be something I've definitely talked to my therapist about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we all? God, exactly. they should really have to pay the bill. Honestly, I should totally invoice a couple of people. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think while there is, we've kind of enjoyed like talking about the sort of like being self-aware about all of these kind of things of the like ro everything from the rose colored glasses and and longing and craving and then also having like like we said this sort of rational rage there is one song on this record that is really deliciously petty and that is <laughs> make out with your best friend um, yes <laughs> we're allowing that too which frankly i think we should all be allowed i think yes. i think I think a, a small dash of pettiness is welcome and acceptable. Yeah, we're having fun. Why not? I do. Yeah. I do. I can't. I, 
I mean, to this day, I can't believe I actually put that on the album. Though. I mean, I'm, oh, I'm so like, glad you did. That's it's kind of one of those songs you make in the studio and then you you send it to all your friends, you know. But <laughs> not me. <laughs> I feel like people will appreciate that though, because like you, even it, whether it's something that someone has done or not in real life, just yeah. being able to kind of live out that that fantasy of pettiness yes. is. It's it's kind of like, you know, very early on in the episode we were talking about like like respite from heavy things. In that case it was through again like dance and music that sounds joyful. But I think yes. as long as, you know, as long as pettiness is not something that's, you know, becoming all consuming and even if it's something you're exactly. just kind of indulging in in your own space, like you're not actually yeah. exacting it on anyone. Like that is a sort of form of respite. It is a sort of form of again like letting that yes. sort of like shitty irrational side of your anger and sadness and all of that just kind of burn itself out you know right. because even that is a part of the human you know like condition it, it's 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 um it's still humorous you know it's like i i think that that you know when we watch films there are often characters that really challenge us when especially and most of the time they're women um that challenge us when they're not extremely likable like and it really challenges us inside meanwhile there are unlikable male characters in films all the time and we still maybe like don't feel as much like and I got kind of fascinated with the, I don't think Made Out With Your Best Friend is salacious enough to be unlikable. Um, but for me, the the actual song was too good to leave off the, like the, I think it's a good, I'm proud of it's the music. And for me, that song is for the queer club and that's that's what it's for. And, <laughs> and so I, like it's those who get it get it but i'm glad it exists in the world and i think it's i think like it's not um it's not so serious it goes with like you know how can it be it's like katy perry made a song about like i kissed a girl and i liked it and we like loved it you know like it's kind of it was fun it's funny it's not like I, I certainly didn't think like, is Katy Perry gay? Like I never had that thought. I was just like, this song is kind of funny. I like to have a little laugh. Um, in music, once in a while. Yeah, I think as well, like something you said about like, like female characters being so easily made unlikable, like this kind of touches a bit on like what I was saying earlier about like the concept of like reclaiming your anger and in this case reclaiming your pettiness like I think for women especially for women of color because like unfortunately we have like the angry black woman trope and stuff in society like we feel like we're held to a higher standard of like how we have to compose ourselves like we're not like we're not allowed to be angry the same way that men are so mm. there's something really awesome in being able to reclaim that and be like i'm not you know less in control or less emotionally intelligent because i have anger it's like i have every right to fucking feel this like right and if you've been screwed over yeah yeah and on the flip side we're not allowed to be like as petty right it's like graceful and and that's me that's actually the real me is like there's grace there's you know compassion empathy all of that um 
<laughs> but when we are talking amongst our friends or whatever, like how many times have you been like, your friend's hotter anyway? Like how many times have we we just like felt that or said it or like, you know, it's like, it's, it's just, um, I don't know. I think it's just like, it's kind of cool. And I think I like a lot of artists, like, and I have some friends who do this where I'm like, wow, like, she really dared to say that. She really said that out loud. You know, like she really said that out you, you know, this stuff that you're not supposed to sing out loud. Um, you really did, you know? And and I think that that's fun in music because the, the point is to kind of like uh, feel like other people are just like you. So anyone who likes that song, like, ah, oh, there's something you get about it, you know? Yeah, and I think whether people want to admit it or not, they I think all or at the very least most people can get that because we all have that part of our brain. It's inescapable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think the best place to kind of start to wrap up here is on the last song, which is Anti-Fuck. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I heard you kind of describe it as a feeling of confusion. I find it so interesting that this sort of more like this song that kind of exists more in the gray is happening so immediately after make out with your Mm -hmm. best friend like this sort of more like again like black and white like fuck you i did this Mm because because fuck you song yeah um so is that is that one there by design and if so why yes um of course i two things that i knew before the album was even finished was that can I talk my shit would be first and anti-fuck would be last. I, And it was all about the the middle. Um, I think, you know, anti-fuck is a song that I almost, I wanted to make a single, but I was telling a different story with the singles. I think that's, so, I'm so proud of that song. Like I am so, um, it, it, it like, <laughs> it just, came very quickly one morning one you know extremely bankrupt morning (laughs) full of despair um but it's a song that i wanted to end that album on to kind of say hey this is like we've played we've experimented we've joked around we've gotten really earnest but like at the end of the day the takeaway for the from this album is that you are in on my very 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 private life like i'm i'm offering access to the deepest parts of myself this is not contrived even if you feel like dancing even if you feel like laughing even if you think this is like this is uh this has been an invitation. Like, so I wanted to close the album on a note of like, of, you know, giving a song that's an offering and that feels like a diary style offering and elicit a response of, of gratitude from the listener of like, because I know I feel gratitude when I've been let into a friend's like internal struggle and to their highs and their lows. And so I decided to close the album with that because I felt like it was the right ending. It it hits on the emotion and the depth and the sadness, but also the chaos, you know, it ends with that insane, uh, like 
outro and just cuts after that of just it felt like the perfect uh ending for this little world that i wanted to build and and one that reminded people of the point of this album which is that it's not meant to be superficial even if you're dancing and laughing and having fun like it's been a look inside of a real person's really difficult time sorry i haven't called is available now wherever you normally get your music this podcast is hosted edited and produced by myself sophia lopercaro and the artwork is by meg welford